0: hi you guys welcome to episode 18 of vibing in valentino so i figured it's about time i give you guys an update on how my sobriety is going if you guys tuned in to an episode i want to say like a month ago because it's been about a month now i decided to kind of slow down on the drinking not kind of i decided to really slow down on the drinking after my birthday party that was on august 16th yeah um and it's been going really well actually so let me let me see let me it's been what is today it's the 18th now so by the time you know this episode comes out it'll be the 20th and so what a month i've had i'm trying to count how many drinks i've had okay so one second one on the flight i think. no, none on the flight here. i'm very surprised because usually on long-haul flights you'll see me hammered and zanned out (laughs) so just to help me sleep but didn't drink at all on the flight here which was a feat in itself actually. i had two drinks with my mom when we were out at lunch. i've had... i had four glasses of wine, so none of these are hard liquor by the way which is another amazing feat, it's all wine. Um, 4 with Cam when he was here and I drank with my brother, that's usually the slipperiest slope is when I drink with my brother because he can really drink and he will not let you stop drinking until you are dead. so we had like a get-together the other night and it was six of us and five bottles of red wine so i'm just gonna go ahead and say i've killed a whole bottle to myself and that's what four glasses five glasses of wine so nine glasses of wine in a month that's really not bad nine glasses of wine used to be me in like three days so yeah i think i'm doing pretty well i never planned on just being completely sober for the rest of my life, I plan on slowing down so the fact that it wasn't even like hard liquor, it was just wine and it was 9 glasses over the course of a month has me really proud of myself because I used to drink, I'm not gonna lie to you guys, every single day and it would be either wine or hard liquor and I was always craving a drink which I know is not good and that's when I knew I had a problem and that's why after my birthday party I was kind of like you know what let me just do this so I can snap out of it and because it was at some point it started to kind of scare me a little bit that I actually really started having a problem and my uncle I just found out has liver cancer because he was such a heavy drinker so there was a lot of a lot of signs pointing towards me you know slowing down a little bit my mom was concerned about my drinking she was like you know your your uncle has cancer you might want to slow it down a little bit (laughs) so yeah i'm happy that i've been able to go through a whole month and i don't feel like drinking which is nice and i'm also excited to see how it affects my body as well so yeah i just thought i'd update you guys if you guys are on this little sobriety journey with me I don't even want to call it sobriety. I don't want to knock people that actually don't drink. I mean, kudos to you guys. I don't even know what to call it though. So (laughs) we'll see how the rest of this trip goes. (laughs) With that being said, I think I want to get right into our conversation with our guest of the week. Our guest this week is going to really open up some eyes for anybody who is, let's just say, financially impaired. That doesn't mean poor or lacking i consider myself financially impaired i don't know the ins and outs of how to invest properly i don't know anything about 401ks emergency savings i'm kind of just living (laughs) we're going with the flow here you guys (laughs) and i want to bet that i am not alone knowing what to do with our money is such an important part of being independent and a high functioning adult our guest is an entrepreneur and financial expert in short, she'll help you get your shit together. She created a website, My Fab Finance, and was named the new face of wealth building by Black Enterprise Magazine. With clients such as Fidelity Investments and Prudential, and having spoken at Bloomberg and Essence Fest, I am beyond excited to have her on to talk to us. Tanya Rapley, welcome to Vibing and Valentino. Thank
1: you so much for having <laughs> me. This is
0: going to be exciting. I'm <laughs> so excited to talk to you. So. Can you please tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself, your financial journey, and the mission behind MyFab Finance?
1: Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I'm a certified financial education instructor. I became a personal finance expert kind of out of my own need. Find someone that looked like me um, mm-hmm. and related to me talking about money. Mm-hmm. My brand is called Mind Lab Finance because I don't believe in deprivation as a financial freedom strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe in shopping occasionally. <laughs> I believe in traveling. I believe Probably in living in that city that you want to live in. And, you know, when I started my journey, A lot of the stuff that I saw is, like, you know, people who lived in, like, Kansas, no knock against Kansas or anything like that, but the cost of living is just so different in certain metropolitan areas, Mm -hmm. and I was living in New York City, and I was like, you know, there has to be a way that I can still enjoy my life, pursue my goals, live in a city that fulfills me culturally and socially, and still become financially secure, and so that maybe was my bad finance, and now I'm, well... I'm in my sixth year as a financial educator, mm-hmm. and I'm approaching my fourth year of being a full-time entrepreneur and doing this work.
0: That's amazing that you created your business out of a need, your own personal need, and it resonated with so many people.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's humbling, it's beautiful. I'm still in shock oftentimes, and it's it's great. But it also shows that there we need work. You know, there's yeah. so much, yeah, so many things so many questions
0: yeah because I mean you're you're here and you're really about to teach us some key things that we don't learn in school and I'm puzzled that they don't teach us any of this in school like we're learning how to play the recorder (laughs) and I know you are a mom yourself do you wish that schools would sometimes make the shift and teach you know more relevant real life things you know
1: I do wish that they would to an extent Mm -hmm. um I, I think you know, I I recall taking home economics yeah. when I was uh, in, in middle school and mm-hmm. high school, and I mm-hmm. do wish that they did more things of that nature, mm-hmm. but I also understand the importance and the responsibility of a parent to, you know, kind of fill in those gaps yeah. um, that they feel exist and existing education, re- education resources available to their kids. Yeah. So it goes both ways.
0: Yeah, that's true. So, Okay. Let's get into the nitty gritty of things. As this conversation progresses, you're going to realize I know absolutely nothing about any of this stuff. <laughs> so, like, we're gonna have to do like a finance for dummies version. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, can you explain to us? Because I was on your website, I was looking through all your very educational blog posts. You guys, if you guys are listening, I suggest you guys go on her website, MyFab Finance. She answers a lot of questions. She has a bunch of great tips for you. But I was on there, and you talk a lot about taxes and filing taxes. So can you explain to us how, like, the idea behind it and how we were able to get more from our returns?
1: I think that it's important to understand that you know, you have people at your workplace that, uh, you know, your HR professionals can let you know, this is what you need to do as far as, you know, adjusting your exemption so that you can get more of your paycheck. Mm-hmm. Or this is what you need to do if you want a larger return at the end of the year So to make sure that you're not claiming too many exemptions so that you can get a larger return at the end of the year. I think that, like, and I think tax planning is for everyone. It's not just for the wealthy. Mm -hmm. Because for some people who know that they're not big savers, like, say, putting aside money for your taxes or, like, you know, choosing to receive a larger tax return could be the opportunity for you to get that large lump sum, you know, at at tax return time that you can use to get ahead of your financial goals. Mm -hmm. So you just have to know your strengths. But then also there are some people who they're not making enough and maybe they need every bit of the money coming in so they need right. to adjust their exemption so to get more of the money now. Yeah. So it just really um, requires you to look at your financial situation is they am I genuinely not making enough money or is it that I need to reassess how spending the money I'm making. Or is it, you know, I really need, you know, it would really help me to get a large return so I could go ahead and pay off that credit card bill that I've been dragging my feet on. So mm. I'm going to go ahead and pay the minimum until tax return time comes along. And then I'm going to do what I said I was going to do with this return and pay that amount off or put it in my savings account so that I could have a substantial cushion in my savings. But at the end of the day, I define financial success as doing what you said you would do with your money. Mm. And so that's just one financial successful activity that you could take yeah. is when you finally do that return or if you decide to do tax planning in a way that allows you to maximize it, doing what you said you would do with that money instead of like going and buying a vacation right, or right, right. doing something else that's going to be short-sighted and then you'll regret it and still be left with the financial stress.
0: Ideally, how would you want a single person in their 20s, like me, to divide up their paycheck when it comes to like rent, dining, and entertainment?
1: Ideally, I think that when I first got started, you know, there was a strip you shouldn't spend more than 30% of your income on housing mm-hmm. but over the course of time we realized that housing is getting really expensive, expensive. and yeah and mm. people are like it doesn't fit into those neat buckets that it once did and so I think that it's important for you to look at you know based on what my housing costs are. I think it's, well I think it's important for you to sit down and do your budget. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if you aren't the type of person who's going to live by a budget, like, day in and day out, a budget does help you take inventory of what your expenses are and what's going out. And you really need to look at, based on what I'm bringing in, my rent is X, Y, Z. And is this amount a responsible amount? And by responsible amount, I mean, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, this is just what it is to live here. and I have a roommate, and I've made it as affordable as possible, but Mm -hmm. it still isn't working. Right. But then there's also, you know, I'm definitely living above my means and I'm eating a couple of noodles every night just to stay here. <laughs> yeah. <if> it makes more <laughs> sense for me to get a roommate. Um, but, I mean, my general general policy when it comes to rent in particular or a mortgage is that it shouldn't be more than half of your paycheck for the month. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think it shouldn't be more than 75% of your paycheck for the month because you still need to live and eat. And then the yeah. other amount of your bills needs to be covered by, you know, 50 to 75% of your paycheck as well. So that's, you know, car insurance, car right. payments, everything else. Right. So that at any given time, I don't think you should be using more than 75% of your overall income on your financial responsibilities. Ideally, 60% but mm-hmm. no more than 75%, mm-hmm. so that you can have other 25% to work on your financial goals, whether that's saving, paying down debt, or investing for the future.
0: When it comes to savings, I know employees of corporations have 401ks, However, which I still don't know what that is. If you could explain a little bit about what that is would be fantastic. However, you know what? In this day and age where not all of us are employees of a large corporation and not all of us work for a job with benefits, what is your biggest tip on structuring your own savings plan when you're not under a corporate plan?
1: Uh, When you don't have a corporate plan, then I think that you need to visit your bank.
0: Mm -hmm. and find out what um, retirement
1: options they have available to them. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when we think about savings, we have short-term and long-term savings. Uh, Short-term savings are those things that, you know, there isn't really a corporate plan or a, a structured plan in place. It is you deciding, I'm putting aside, you know, 25 or 100 or yeah. $250 a month towards my financial goals. Yeah. But then there is, you know, the long-term savings, which is your retirement, which you should go to, you know, either if, if it's dropping into a Fidelity mm-hmm. um, branch because you have them all around the country. If you mm-hmm. don't have something at your, your job, stopping at Fidelity and saying, hey, I want to open up a retirement account and I wanted to see, you know, how you guys could help me with my goals. Because they don't have the minimums that I think a lot of people assume that um, they have, yeah. and you can get started for a lot less than most people realize they can.
0: What are your thoughts then on life insurance? Like, does a young, you know, healthy, a single person need life insurance? right
1: now or you know what are your thoughts on that it's funny because I'm one of my podcast co-hosts we're talking about this Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people assume that life insurance is for people who have kids and everything else but it's not just that life insurance is a way that you can leave a legacy life happens Mm -hmm. and um, unfortunately some people pass before their intended passing date and so forth and you know you could leave a legacy and say I would like a trust established in my name Mm -hmm. even though I don't have any children or anything like that. Maybe, you know, send this to other kids who need to go to college. And so there are different ways that you can utilize it. Or if you do have kids or family members, you know, they can use that money and leverage it to start a business yeah. or do something. Um, but th- at the bare basis, life insurance helps cover funeral costs. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to worry about your family having to start a GoFundMe or something like that in the event of your untimely passing. Right. But it did also does create space for people to grieve and not have to worry about the financial repercussions You're of right. grieving right. like if someone is like you know i need to take time off from my job and i could possibly lose my job life insurance could be the differences in paying your bills in that time of that grieving process and not and so it just is so much bigger than like okay i'm just paying this every month it's for my kids
0: right so even as and like I a-
1: it's also more affordable it's more affordable the younger you are
0: mm, and okay. so
1: like, you know that the older you are the you know more health concerns you might begin to develop and so forth mm-hmm. but the younger you are the more affordable it is and you can lock in more affordable rates at a younger age
0: got it so you can lock in that rate for the rest of however your policy term is absolutely my you get it you know something. i'm kind of looking girl no because after our recording today one of my very close girlfriends she just became a life insurance salesperson and so she's like trying to like you know impress her boss or whatever and i'm like okay girl like yeah just come on over bring your boss we'll talk about it (laughs) because i'm just trying to be a supportive friend and so over the weekend i was youtubing life insurance like 101 because i'm like okay i feel like the boss is going to try to finagle me on some shit so i need to really know my things so okay what i know is there's term life insurance and whole life what do you suggest and I'm I'm well, single. You know, I'm healthy. Term, I'm 27. Term is more affordable,
1: and I recommend for anybody who has a um, stressed financial situation to start off with term. Okay. Because the thing about term is it has a limit. It has a limited term. We think of, like presidential terms or election terms. It's limited. Right. So term typically expires after 25 to 35 years. You lose that po- that rate that you locked in. Mm-hmm poll is like you know it's going to be a little more expensive yeah um sometimes that difference is like between 30 and 40 dollars more expensive Mm -hmm. maybe it's a hundred dollars more expensive but you're locked in at that rate for the duration of your life and so you wouldn't lose the value of the policy and you know my parents they got a term policy when they were in their 20s um, and then their term policy expired about three years ago Mm -hmm. and the company that they were with to get the same amount now in their 50s that they had at their 30s it was going to go up from like $60 a month to $325 a month so you know it would have been more beneficial for them to lock in a whole policy Mm -hmm. you know even if it's a smaller supplemental whole policy that's what people don't understand is you can get a larger, like a hundred or $250,000 term policy, but still have maybe like a $50,000 whole policy to supplement that so that it's less money, but it is still something, and you're locking in it at that rate.
0: Got it. So when your policy expires, do you get the money back?
1: No, but no. No, you don't. If you have a term policy, you do not get the money back.
0: Oh, oh my God. Okay.
1: I know, I know, you don't get it back
0: but
1: <laughs> that's why it's called insurance you know what yeah. I mean? It's, that is also, you know, like if you say, get a health insurance policy yeah, and over the course of the year, you don't use it you don't get that money back
0: yeah, yeah, that's true and you have to you, listen, health insurance is on another level in this country anyway, that's a whole different topic crazy. <laughs> it's crazy sure. <laughs> I'm
1: like, all surprised about that
0: Girl, I'm like, okay, oh, you mean I have to get this amount of sick before you'll actually pay for my care? Like, really? Right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, renting or owning a home, what do you think is best?
1: When it comes to owning a home, I think what's best is what works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, home ownership isn't right for everybody, and homeownership is expensive. Like, as much as it's an investment you can get money back, it can be expensive. Yeah. And with home like, you know, you have to decide a certain a few certain factors whether you're locked in and committed to remaining in the area that you currently live in. Right. Whether you are um, able to cover any emergencies because when you become a homeowner, if that roof starts getting a leak, you're mm-hmm. responsible for it. If right. the boiler goes out, you're responsible for it. And if you know the sewage backs up, you're responsible for it. Yeah. And I think we like people glamorize home ownership quite a bit, but Mm -hmm. homeownership can become a financial um, pitfall if you're not financially prepared for it. But also, if you go into it right, you know, you have enough money and savings, you've done your research, you've gotten a good deal on a home and everything else, then it can make sense and it can be an opportunity for you to leverage other opportunities. Whether that is, you know, starting to build passive income with your first primary house. Yeah. I'm really big on rent hacking. Um, and that's what me and my husband are looking into is purchasing a home that's a duplex.
2: Mm-hmm. Because
1: for us, it doesn't make sense. We live in, we, we realize that we will most likely live in expensive areas. Okay. Whether it's um, D.C., Los yeah. Angeles, like more expensive cities yeah. but for us if we rent back I mean we purchase a multi-family unit mm-hmm. so that we have someone helping us pay that mortgage yeah um, it's one thing to get a million dollar mortgage on your own it's another thing to get a million dollar mortgage and you have two tenants who are also splitting that cost with you but you're getting to enjoy the equity of and, and home ownership and the benefits of that and if you wanted to move you still have an asset yeah. that you can rent out for yeah. passive income so I think it's like homeownership can't make sense can make sense Mm -hmm. but if you're deciding to rent that's nothing against you it's until you decide what makes sense for you financially and whether you actually are committed to that area and want to be a homeowner
0: Mm, that's true because you know i'm currently renting my apartment but i was looking at condos around here for a little bit and then i realized you know it didn't make sense because once you purchase the condo you have the hoa fees that are honestly the same thing as paying rent at my current place. I was like, okay, well, this is a lot. <laughs> That's like dropping a huge dime and then continually paying rent. I'm like, okay, well, this is not not what I expected at all.
1: Yeah, you know, the thing about that also is, that with condos, condos can be tricky too because you can actually be renting a condo and not have as much flexibility as you would like. Mm -hmm. You can be um, in a situation where, like, you would think that I'm going to, and not, I'm sorry, you own a condo and think, I'm going to just move and rent it out, but the condo association might not let you rent your yeah, condo out. yeah. They might have too many condos that are being rented. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's a lot of things to think about, and condos are more affordable, and then sometimes, you know, if the condo association isn't taking um, financial responsibility for, their own, their own books, it could be harder to sell a condo because people don't want to buy into a poor organization. Right. And so we're bigger than just buying an affordable condo.
0: Yeah. It's like basically you're buying an apartment unit and you have a bunch of rules you have to follow, which mm-hmm. there's a lot less freedom than having your own house on your own land and all this stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. What
0: about a car? Do you lease or buy?
1: Again, that depends on your financial situation mm-hmm. and what, what your lifestyle demands. There are benefits to both. I mean, with a lease, for example, you are not responsible. There are, pay, there are going to be less repairs because the car is newer. Yeah. Um, you will have a car payment. You will have a lower car payment by the end of that term. You're not building equity, and like, like, I mean, a car is a depreciating asset anyway. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to drive off, drive away with a paid off car unless you've been saving the money. You're going to pay off the balance at the end of the lease. Right. But if you're the type of person who likes a new car every couple of years, anyway then at least might make sense for you. First, yeah. if you're the type of person who wants to pay your car off, you don't want a car note, you want to be free and clear, then it makes sense to buy with the purchase with the intent of paying that off over time. Mm-hmm. only thing you need to know is that eventually, just because you don't have a car note, doesn't mean you won't have financial responsibilities related to that car. Yeah. And so in the case-by-case scenario, when we moved, when we lived in New York, we had a car that we had paid off in full. And it was great, and it worked, but there were a lot of maintenance issues because our car was 10 years old.
2: Mm-hmm. So it seemed
1: like every three to six months, you know, we had a yeah. 600 to $1,200 car maintenance deal. Yeah. Over the course of the year, like, that's a car maintenance. So when, yeah. and, so when we moved to Los Angeles, we knew we wanted something that was reliable and wouldn't require maintenance yeah and so we decided to lease and we got an affordable lease and we haven't had any issues with the car if there's anything we just take it to a lot but yeah. we haven't had any issues with it and it's been nice driving a car you know when you walk out it's gonna turn on right. you don't have to worry about <laughs> you don't have to worry about you know the um ac going out or anything yeah. like that yeah so it's the um, peace of mind is really big and i think sometimes people get so focused on these other dollars and this is like mm-hmm. financially but it's like what makes sense for your peace of mind and your lifestyle because you also have to take that into consideration
0: yeah that's true so speaking of lifestyle what do you think is the biggest thing to consider financially when somebody is trying to transition from the single life to family planning like out of all the things we've discussed whether it's home ownership or life insurance what is your biggest thing
1: I think that when you're transitioning from a single life into like a family, you have to um, really take into consideration who you're doing the planning with, Mm -hmm. and if guys are on the same page financially. Yeah. Um, And I think a lot of people underscore that. And I think we want to be together; we'll figure it out. But you really want to make sure that you're on the same plan financially, and you have the same values when it comes to money and like what the couple, what your financial goals are as a Mm -hmm. couple. But also, you want to make sure it's a healthy situation, it's a healthy dynamic, and that you can respectfully have conversations about money and joining your finances. And you are laying expectations out on the table for each of you to have a better understanding with, this is what I expect from my partner, this is what I expect my partner to expect of me, or what I expect to contribute. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of the issues get lost in the murkiness that people don't really do those deep dives and kind of dig in. Like, what's expected of you? What's expected of me?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, what's the, you know, what kind of relationship culture do we want to create when it comes to money? Right. And then I think um, understanding what your short-term and long-term goals are. Because you have short-term goals and you have long-term goals, as we already said. And what are your short-term goals? What are my short-term goals? Mm-hmm. How does that affect our money? What are your long-term goals? Where are my long-term goals? How does that affect our money? Yeah. Um, because one person might want to become a real estate investor and the other person might want to have a brick-and-mortar store. Yeah. And so like, how do we make sure both of our needs and wants are met or what is going to take precedent or what are we working towards as a couple so that we're working together as a couple?
0: Yeah. Do you suggest couples get a joint accounts? I know this is very personal. Like, some people, like, they, it can go both ways, but what do you what do you think? What are your personal opinions on the matter?
1: Yeah, I think that joint accounts are helpful in a relationship. I know, like, you know, me and my husband, we have our separate
0: accounts, and we have our joint accounts. Mm-hmm. We, have a, we have our house account, and we have
1: our own individual accounts. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, that we had to realize is, like, you know what? As long as we're meeting our goals as a household, mm-hmm. do what you want to do with your side money, and yeah. I'll do what I want to do with mine. as long as we're meeting our goals as a household.
0: It's so important for women to know that they need to have some of their own, to so they can have that kind of freedom to do what they want in terms of their dream or their career. Credit scores mean everything nowadays. So how can somebody improve their credit score?
1: So you can improve your credit score by understanding how credit works. I think that's the fundamental, the most valuable thing you can do is understand how credit works because a lot of times you don't need to pay a credit repair specialist. You just need to understand how credit works and mm-hmm. the two most important things are payment history and how you use your credit available to you. So keeping okay. your utilization or your balance below 30%. So for someone who, you know, has credit cards and their score is feeling the effects of maybe having maxed out cards, the most beneficial thing that you can do is pay your balances below 30% or open up, you know, a balance transfer card and put, you know, transfer that over so you're spreading out those limits. Mm -hmm. Um, because credit card companies it's about your relationship with debt and they want to see that you're not relying on debt to move forward financially Mm -hmm. and so I think that it is but it's still, I think it's that's a life skill that people should have, is understanding credit. And there's so many good books about it. I started my journey with my finance learning to understand my credit. Um, one of my favorite books is written um, by Belinda Bridgeforth, is Girl, Get Your Credit Straight. Mm-hmm. There's another book called um, How to Fix Your Credit by one of my friends, Dominique Brown. Mm-hmm. And I think those are really helpful resources to understand how to fix your own credit. Mm-hmm. Because then what begins to happen is that like, even if you enter a situation that is not ideal when it comes to credit, you know how to bounce back from it. You know what you need to do to fix it yourself instead of having to go pay someone again. And once you invest in having the knowledge for yourself, you just become that much more um, confident and stronger. But one of the first things you can do is, under like, get an assessment and definitely pull your credit report mm-hmm. um, and look at you know, what are the factors affecting your credit report if you yeah. have open lines it takes open lines of credit to build credit and so like if you're the type of person who all your credit cards have been closed then we have to figure out how you can contact each of those companies to find out if you can rehabilitate your credit card mm-hmm. credit account with them or if you can um, you know have an agreement or kind of reach some type of agreement to pay off those balances so that you can actually get an open line of credit mm-hmm. to build your credit But then if you already have the open lines, it is getting on track and paying those responsibly, whether it's your car payment or your student loan, paying those responsibly every month.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, But
1: then also on those credit cards, really, really working down, working to pay your balance down below 30 percent because each amount that you pay down will help benefit your credit score.
0: Oh, got it. Okay, so that 30% is key. What mm-hmm. is your biggest advice for debt repayment? Because I know this is kind of like your area of expertise. You've had a challenge. It was a challenge on social media, and you helped a bunch of people pay off their debt.
1: Oh, Banish the Balance Challenge. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we did the Banish the Balance Challenge, which was great. We helped uh, um, We have 6,000 people pay off a quarter million dollars worth Amazing. of days. And so, yeah, the Banished Balance Challenge, it really was just kind of walking people through understanding their debt and Mm -hmm. understanding their relationship with debt. Um, And now we're actually rolling that into our Blue Ribbon Club. So, we've doubled down at MyFab Finance on helping people break the cycle of living paycheck to paycheck. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so, what we're doing with that is uh, we have a structured accountability program to help people kind of navigate through the process of this is what I need to do first, and this is what I need to do next, and this is what I need to do, and this is what I need to do to pay down my debt. So um, it's been going great. We just started it, and we're working with our first group of people. But, um, you know, with that, it is, sitting down and getting a handle on understanding what you owe, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and then based on the resources you have coming in, that's why that budget is important, based on the resources that you have coming in, how can you begin to make a dent in what you owe? Mm -hmm. Um, if If any of the debts are closed, you know, having that conversation with the creditors to find out how can I settle for less than the amount owed? How can I ensure that we are paying down so that I can get this paid and you get paid back? But maybe I can pay it for less than what's owed since you bought this debt for a lesson I owed. Yeah. Um, so yeah it's deciding what your strategy is going to be and then just going with that strategy and committing to it even if you fall off the horse like committing to it and knowing what you need to do so that if you have a couple of bad days you can get back on track.
0: What do you think is the biggest way to plan for that kind of repayment? Is there like kind of like a strategy that you recommend people do when it comes to like maybe student loans or credit cards?
1: I think you need to be aware of all the options and then decide what works best for you based on your personality type Mm -hmm. and you also need to look at your financial resources because if you're trying to pay something you don't have enough money then it might not work so you also have to be honest with yourself about do you need to do other things to bring in additional money do you need to start babysitting on the weekends? Yeah. Do you need to try you know just Uber delivery i think it requires you being honest with yourself about right. your resources
0: right
1: and then what you need to do for you to feel successful like for me the snowball method works for me i pay off the smallest amounts I'm like yes that credit card is paid
2: mm-hmm. and i start
1: i that, like, you feel the success building rather than yeah. starting with a large amount. You I know, feel so, like I've just been paying forever for two years yeah. and I don't feel that's the uh, sensation of eliminating something. Yeah. So, you need to know what type of person you are as well. Yeah. I think that some people, you know, some people become comfortable with that mm-hmm. um, and some people are avoiders and some people kind of lean in. And so, I think that that's the first thing that you have to do is you have to ask yourself, you know, like, how comfortable am i am I with that? Am I too comfortable with it? Mm-hmm. but then once you've asked yourself that, I also think you need to kind you know really just understanding that it doesn't define you that debt and your financial decisions don't define you you can always create a new reality yeah, but I think we're a we're a combination of all of our backgrounds and like our own parents financial histories and everything else and um just just like I said, it just requires honesty and right. looking at it is how I perceive that. Mm-hmm. This is what it actually is and this is what it actually isn't and this is what I'm going to do in order to get control of it or to feel more in control of it. Yeah. Because even if even if you have that you can still feel in control of it and you can still feel you can feel out of control. Right. And I think the out of control feeling is what lends to um you know, depression and anxiety when that's it comes true. to death. But when you actually decide to take control over it and say, you know what, this is, this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this in my debt. Then it becomes less, you, you have a better relationship with it because yeah. you realize it's something that's there, but it's not something that's always going to be there looming over you.
0: Right. And right. I
1: think that when people don't address it, that's, and it, most people are avoiders when it comes to death, yeah. um, that becomes like anxiety inducing
0: yeah you brought up passive income earlier what do you think is your biggest advice for somebody who's trying to figure that out for themselves because well first let's explain a little bit about passive income and what do you think women should do to make that happen
1: one thing i'll say is that passive income is initially active income like mm-hmm. it requires work to set up passive income and sometimes it could be years of work to set up passive revenue streams it's very rare that you wake up like you know what i want to set up the best revenue stream this is not going to do anything after i set it up you know, just set up this website and just make money. Yeah. Um, sometimes it can take months. Sometimes it can take years. I think everybody owes it to themselves to explore the different types available to them. Mm-hmm. Um, Pat Flynn has great resources with smart passive income. Nick Loper um, has a podcast I love, um, Side Hustle Nation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Also, Nikaila has Side Hustle Pro. There's communities of people who figured out how to turn their side hustles into profitable passive income options. Yeah. So I think you have to be realistic. You have to be patient. You have to look at what makes sense for your lifestyle, and you have to look at what you have resources or what's attainable to you. Mm-hmm. So maybe having an auto parts um, business on Amazon is not the best passive income strategy for you just because it is for someone else. Or, you know, watching, you know, I know Pat Flynn, he started out with helping people pass a certain exam. Like, mm-hmm. that's, he created a guidebook for that. But, it's like, if that's not the exam that you had to take or you don't have experience in that, that's not a part passive revenue stream for you. So I yeah. think that people own themselves to explore how other people are doing it mm-hmm. and what makes sense for their lifestyle, but also being mindful of resisting um, quick fixes, Yeah. Um, often like, in the form of multi-level marketing programs. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. I was talking to a friend and she was like, girl, I ever went the Herbalife Way to oh. my church. And it's like, you know, at one point, there was a time where everybody was selling like Herbalife. Yeah, there was. was, yeah. And it was a short-lived passive revenue stream for people because at the core it wasn't based on long-standing principles it was based on kind of get rich quick
0: mm-hmm. yeah and
1: so you just have to really like be patient and look for options that aren't necessarily get that are time tested and aren't necessarily get rich quick mm-hmm. but are secure
0: yeah yeah, security first for sure. you started my finance on a budget. Can you give aspiring small business entrepreneurs or side hustlers advice on how? to create their own business with such a limited resource.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm all um, very transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, even My that Finance, I started on a budget, but I created debt, because it takes money to build a business, yeah. and um, I created about $24,000 in credit card debt with My Fab Finance, but mm-hmm. I had a plan to just take the money back, and actually, next week, I'm making my last payment to pay it all off. So, Yay, like,
0: congratulations!
1: Like oh yeah, oh the payoff an
0: entrepreneur
1: and everything, like yeah. you know, and for me that was a source of. I, I, I just feel like everything that we experience
2: mm-hmm. as
1: individuals really does kind of shape like how we help others, especially as coaches. And yeah. I think I had to have this own experience with debt to be better at helping others with it. Yeah. Um, but with that said, there were also a lot of resources that I did utilize when I started my that finance, and that was bartering my services so if I was you know I know how to do financial I know how to do credit repair I know how to help people with their finances I need Mm -hmm. somebody who did website design and you know like oh well I need help with my credit I need to rehabilitate my credit that I can provide you credit repair Uh services in exchange for a logo or in exchange (gasps) for a website that is so smart um, yeah or like social media you know I know how to do social media so maybe it was like personal appearance was important to me so it's like my hairstylist in exchange for helping her with her social media strategy, she did my hair for free. Yeah, um, and like I had like one monthly hair appointment for hair maintenance while I didn't have the resources. Amazing. But also, you know, if I wanted to, if I wanted to go to a conference seeing if I could speak based on what my subject matter, and my subject expertise is mm-hmm. or volunteering so that I could get there for free um, so that my ticket would be covered. Sharing resources like if I was going to go to a conference, you know going to the conference's Facebook page or Facebook group and finding out if I could split a room with someone so I wouldn't be absorbing all of those costs yeah. rather than trying to, you know, do, try to support everything on my own. So that's one way that I was able to cut costs. You, uh, you know, just Realizing Pinterest and, Mm -hmm. you know, reading blog posts and so forth, because coaches will provide a fair amount of information online, especially if you get into other news lists Mm -hmm. and you attend a webinar, and it does become a certain point where it's like, okay, I really have to take the leap and um, invest in this coach, but... A lot of times it give you resources that if you are committed and you do those things, you can start generating money in your business so you can afford to work with them. Yeah. And so it was taking advantage of re- free resources available, showing up. If a coach I was interested in was going to do a Facebook Live, I was showing up and asking my questions, my direct questions yeah. and so forth. So it's like taking advantage of free resources available to you and finding solutions.
0: Have you read uh, You Are a Badass at Making Money? It's Jen I have a read. You are badass. Making
1: money, but I read. You are badass. Mm-hmm. Actually, I
0: actually have it in my name. She's a coach as well, and she said exactly what you said. That it takes money to make money, and to invest in a coach when you feel lost. What do you think was the biggest tipping point for you to make that leap with MyFab Finance or any other you know business enterprise that you you wanted to partake in? Like it's so scary for me because I just hired a PR agent for my podcast. And the cost uh-huh. is, I know it's going to be worth it, but it's just always a sense of questioning.
1: Yeah, you're always like, I'm parting with these dollars. Um, but then it also is really quantifying what outcomes look like mm-hmm. and saying, okay, by doing this, this can help me improve my bottom line by yeah. a certain amount. So, I mean, honestly, for my clients Finance, I did not bring in... Um, PR until this year. Mm-hmm. I haven't had any representation until this year. And I brought in a PR person because I needed someone to kind of interface between me and media outlets yeah. to pitch me, but also help me come up with my talking points and everything right. else. Right. And so for me, it was like, okay, what, what activities or actions result in the um, increase of my bottom line with my company mm-hmm. and how can I invest in those? So I know I was making money with speaking engagements but yeah. I wasn't making as much money as I knew I could, so I went and got a speaking coach
2: mm. and worked with a speaking coach, and I was
1: able to directly correlate that to dollars, to bringing in more of my business, mm-hmm. but also being more confident and understanding how to navigate the speaking space.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: I realized that I was, you know, not effectively serving my community, and I was becoming overwhelmed or paralyzed by my inbox. So I got an assistant to help me manage my inbox, mm-hmm. so that we weren't we weren't missing um, emails, but then also if I have brand partnerships and so forth. He's following along with that to make sure that I'm fulfilling each of those deliverables so that this part, we can make sure that the client is happy and they're likely to come back. Right, And right. so it was really like, what are the profitable activities in my business and how can I enhance those or bring someone in so that I can continue to grow those profitable activities and yeah. attract more of that?
0: What do you think has been the biggest shift for you when it comes to shifting that wealth mindset? Like, I guess, take a leap of faith and do what you want to
1: do. I think that it it has really been pushing myself beyond what I believe is possible.
2: Mm-hmm. And really allowing
1: myself to think and dream big and think without limit. And reminding myself and putting those goals at the forefront. Yeah. So when I started my firm finance, the most I had ever made at a job was $65,000 a year.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
1: realized that it was very hard for me to think beyond making sixty five thousand dollars a year. I felt like that's kind of what I was stuck into. Yeah. But I said, you know what, my goal is to make twenty five thousand dollars a month with my fat finance.
2: Mm-hmm. so
1: I changed my passwords to twenty five thousand monthly. I started believing it. I started, you know, like I'm gonna make twenty five thousand a month. I am profitable. I have a profitable business. And now twenty five thousand is almost a norm yeah. a month for us. That's
2: amazing. Um, and now it's the point where I'm like,
1: okay, my next goal is to generate half a million dollars like, yeah. in a year, and I have to say you have to be patient because I think especially now um, in this microwave generation and everybody's like showing their invoices and everything and
2: mm-hmm. like on
1: Instagram. Like, why am I not doing it so well? Yeah. But you know, like you just have to be patient because it took me. I went full time in 2015. Mm-hmm. It took me until 2018 to have my first twenty-five thousand dollar month, <gasps> um, and you really like laying the groundwork and doing the work. Yeah. And then now here in 2019, like, I'm able to do it multiple times because I learned, like, okay, this is how it happens, and this is how I replicate it, and this is how I continue to do this. Um, but I just, you know, really encourage people to think beyond their limitations. Mm-hmm. The, book, the one book I read was The Magic of Thinking Big, and that really helped me out a lot. I really, um, really just, what, you just have to get out your own way yeah. and your own limitations. And remind yourself that people are doing this each and every day. Mm-hmm. There are absolutely ordinary people who are doing this each and every day ethically. And I can do it, too. Yeah. Um, and I say ethically because there's people doing it unethically. I know. And then and you don't want to get
0: caught
1: up in that mess. <laughs> those are sometimes the loudest voices, you know. And then yeah. you're like, oh, my God, they're in jail for scamming. You know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, so... You definitely want to say, you know, I can do this ethically. Yeah. But one thing I really have to remind myself is there are ordinary people doing this teaching every day. Yeah. And I don't have to be extraordinary. I just have to be committed to my, uh, my goal. And as long as I'm committed to my goal and taking the steps necessary and asking the right questions of myself, mm-hmm. it's possible. Yeah. And I know for a fact that's the only way that I'm here. I didn't go to Ivy League school, didn't study business,
2: mm-hmm. didn't
1: have million dollar mentors and you know, didn't come from a family of financial experts or yeah. anything like that. Didn't necessarily have the broadest network or like all my friends were partying on boats in San Tropez. Like for the most part, I'm like the person in my circle who figured it out. Yeah. And uh, and now I'm committed to putting myself in, um, in relation to other people who helped me think and dream and do bigger. Mm-hmm. But to get to this point, it really was me committing to like, I know that there's, I can do and live differently and I'm going to do and live differently. So, Amazing.
0: Amazing. That. Amazing. Before we wrap the show, we do a weekly segment every week called Weekly Weakness, and it's all about whatever you're obsessed with this week. So it could be a product, a book, a podcast, a show, anything. What are you obsessed with this week?
1: Uh, this week, I am obsessed with fitness. I think fitness at the forefront for me. Oh, um, good. Yeah, being a new mom and just kind of kind of getting my body back mm-hmm. to how, um, not necessarily how it was, but just kind of making peace mm-hmm. with that. And yeah. I'm obsessed with my overall mental and physical wellness this week. So just kind of realizing you know, there are some things that I want to work on when it comes to therapy. So, you know, finding a good therapist and yeah. finding a good uh, personal trainer, so yeah. that's what I'm stressing is my overall wellness.
0: Yeah. So self care is your weekly weakness right now. Yeah. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you, your website, Instagram, all that fun stuff?
1: So people can find me on social media. My brand is My Finance. We offer every uh, we offer inspiration, tips, tools, and strategies every day. Um, we will be announcing the Blue Ribbon Club upcoming. So anybody who's interested in finally breaking that cycle of living paycheck to paycheck can sign up there. And then for a personal, like my personal journey, my fitness journey upcoming. Um you yes. can at timer dot uh, and that way you can connect with me on motherhood and entrepreneurship and the things that go into taking care of the person behind the business and the you know, the relationship behind mm-hmm. the business most recently really yeah. been faced with um focusing on my marriage and my household and yeah. you know, everything else. So like how am I navigating that?
0: I learned so much from you, and I hope my listeners find inspiration in your story and in your advice on how to take control of their money matters a little bit more.
1: Thank you so much,
0: Nicole. I appreciate it. <laughs> it <your> an <laughs> honor. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation we had with Tanya Rapley. If you guys have not checked out her website, it is in the show notes down below. I have no idea why schools don't teach us more of, you know, money and budgeting and taxes empowering students to become a little bit more in control of their financial situation i think that if they don't teach it in high school at the very least they should have taught it in college <laughs> it should have been a class about real life shit in college and i mean fuck, i took astronomy and Let me tell you, it was a required class and I still don't understand why it's a required class. I've never in my life used astronomy in any way, shape, or form. But if you guys learned something valuable from this episode, if you guys enjoyed this episode or any other previous episode, go ahead and give me that five star rating. Hit that subscribe button. And I want to thank you guys so much for coming out to hang out with me on this Friday morning, afternoon, night. I don't know what time you guys are listening to this. (laughs) Have a wonderful weekend. Be safe. Have fun. And I'll see you guys next Friday. Bye.